0: In uh, in John six fifteen to twenty one the title of my sermon is sleepless and sea adult <laughs> I'm straining at the uh, the, the pun here uh, but 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 adult does mean that you are frustrated confused uh, and in a bit of a helpless state uh, and uh, here we go we'll uh, we'll we'll enjoy this romantic comedy of uh, of Jesus encountering his disciples in this boat. Uh, Let's pray together, and in we go. God, there are uh, storms that are in our lives that are bigger than we know, and the solution is for you to be in our boat. And I I pray, God, that as we look at this story, uh, that we would not fear you, but welcome you, invite you, embrace you. Uh, as you're our only chance to get to shore. And thank you that you've done all that is necessary in order for that to be real safe passage. Thank you, God, for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so we just studied out Jesus feeding the the 5,000. And at the end of feeding the 5,000, the crowds were so enthralled with Jesus, his teaching, but also... He gave them bread and fish and fed them at a time where they were in a rather desperate strait. And they began to have a murmur about them, could this be the Messiah? Who else could perform such wonders and signs? Could this be the Messiah? And in verse 14, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, that being the third big sign in the Gospel of John, the feeding of the 5,000, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. And so he goes up to the Golan Heights. And he also wants to make sure that his guys, his, his 12, are not going to be contaminated by A view of the Messiah that was anything less than God's will and intention. And so he wants to make sure rather than the 12 who are going to be the ones that then help to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples and explode love throughout the world. Rather than they become so small minded as to think that a physical revolution is really what is needed here. And instead of that, he wants to make sure that they are in a sense sequestered or 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 perhaps even in in some sense uh, made separate from the contaminating influence of the throngs of a mob mentality and we know from mark 6 which is a parallel passage to this he doesn't just get them into a boat he forces them into the boat he's like get in this boat get out there but it's it's getting near sunset and if you're jewish You're not loving the water. How many people here would love to have oceanfront property? Right. If this were the boat of the twelve, even though they were all fishermen, and I said, how many of you like to have oceanfront property? No hands would go up. You know, what's even interesting is going to Capernaum, where these fishermen lived, none of them built their houses close to the shore. They all were over by the synagogue. That was much more desirable to them, but not only was the shore not desirable, it was something that they feared greatly uh, and As we look at them now going out into the sea, their view of the sea was very different from ours, and maybe it 's technology, maybe it 's the sense that we, in our great evolution of of engineering have have dominated terra firma as well as the sea itself uh, perhaps that 's the difference but but for them to know that Them going into the sea at night, and then the the the, you know weather starts getting rough. But the tiny ship was tough. I, I mean, for for that to happen to them would have been like losing your mind. Fear because it would have a fear that goes beyond just the physical. It was not just that the sea is scary and who knows what kind of creatures are in there in the dark that you don't see in the depths. But the sea was also. a a very frightening place because it was associated with the abyss, the the, the place of evil, the place of the Leviathan, the place of even the dead in in some cases. But let's, let's go ahead and read this then as we go on. Verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat, because they had no choice, by the way, and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. And Mark tells us as well, Mark 6, this is, this is quite the tempest that has stirred up along the waters here. And they were frightened. Oh, I'm sorry. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they rode about three or four miles, they saw... Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. They were already frightened, but now it's being described in a heightened fashion because of of what they're seeing. But he said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat and immediately The boat reached the shore where they were heading. All right, so we've got a a, kind of a a straightforward section of text here in a beautiful story, all self-contained. And I've got three points to take us through this. The first one is afraid of the water. And as I've already mentioned about the Jewish mindset, there was a fear of of water itself, but it wasn't just simply the the, the fear of of the waves. It was the fear of... Of everything that was underneath. And for them to be out there. This is a a difficult situation for them to say the least. But for us. I think we live our lives. Expecting calm seas. And it's not so much how do we make sense of the stormy seas in our life. Because know this. Jesus sent them into this sea. He's the one who put them into this position. He put them out at night with a wind gusting up and with a frightening experience about to be theirs. And for us, I think it's not so much how do we make sense of God's purposes for our life. I think the biggest thing is that when something really wrong goes down in our life, it's not just that we we don't know how to make sense of it, it's just that we're so surprised that something wrong is going on in my life. We're just so used to everything being hermetically sealed and climate controlled and God forbid there's a pothole and the, you know, the complaints that we'll throw up that even such a bump would cause me to have a, a bump in the road of my life. Like we, we're just so now accustomed to comfort on all sides To think that God would deliberately put you in a place of discomfort is just something that's very difficult to embrace. And yet, it's exactly what God is is doing here for his precious disciples. He is putting them in a very difficult position. But it's also what he's done for his people over and over again. Think about the Jews and the promise given to Abraham in Genesis 15. God says to Abraham, your people are going to, I have trouble with that word. I go up five <laughs> octaves. Uh, your people are, are, are going to go down into Egypt and they are going to be enslaved for 430 years. Wow, right? And you think, why would God do that? Why bricks without straw? Why oppression? Why slavery? Why bring all of that? Because what God was doing was quarantining his people from the oozing evil that was overflowing out of the inhabitants that surrounded them. And if God had not done that, his plan to redeem all of mankind, God was not content with a with a fallen humanity. God wanted nothing less than for all of his plan to come together in a burgeoning holiness and love that would ultimately be fulfilled through chosen Israel, through them, through, through Jesus, and then ultimately throughout all nations again. But in order for that to even have a chance of happening, in order for God's big picture to play itself out, there's some small pictures, some snapshots immediately in front of us that just seem horrific. Until you pull back and get a view of the big picture. If the Jews had not gone into slavery for 430 years of horrific oppressions and abuses, they would never have come out on the other end of that purified and ready to receive the law and ready to be the bearers of God's will to future generations and not only future but future nations. All of that was God God's plan coming together. And I think even for the 12 here to think, why? Why are we out? Of, like, why? Why are we? Like the crowds are the crowds make their way around. We'll see in a moment. They just run around the top of the sea and they get there at the same time. Like, why are we out here? We could just kind of get to Capernaum by running around the top of the Sea of Galilee right now. Why out here? Why would Jesus do? He forced us into this boat. Why would Jesus arrange it in such a way? And again, at the time, it just seems overwhelming. We got stuff that happens in our lives we, we can't make sense of in the moment. And, and it's also probably not, not even that easy to try to come up with our own solutions. Because who knew God's full will that was going on here? If you're in the boat, you're like, well, God works together all things for the good. Uh, maybe we're gonna catch a really big fish. Uh, maybe, who knows what they were trying to rationalize to say, yeah, but God is a good God. And certainly, they, they would have never known that they were being protected from a false view of the Messiah. It's gonna be so hard for them to have the concept of a, of a God who becomes flesh and then a man who resurrects from the dead. All of that's gonna be so difficult for them. What Jesus was trying to do was protect their view of, God become man of the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. He needed to keep that clear and perfect. There's no way that any of them would be thinking that while they're in the middle of the sea. Oh, well, he's protecting us from the influence and the polluted views of, of the crowds that are walking along the top of the shore. I don't think any of them would be thinking that as, as they come up with it. But I think even for our own lives, we've got to recognize we've got storms that are going nuts. And and you can come up with some some ideas and maybe they could give you some comfort. But really, the the only comfort is, is that, you know, that that God has a will that is perfect and beyond our, our our understanding. And Romans 12 tells us, don't don't let your brain be squeezed into the thinking of the world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And only then will you be able to test and approve of what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Again, we're, we're trying to use a secular mindset to make sense of the crazy stuff that's going on in our lives. It's not going to go so well. How about just this past weekend of hearing the, the, the celebration of, of baby Calloway. And Elena and Zach and all that they went through 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 that period. And we were all praying. But you know what? On the same day that we were praying... For Elena, we were also praying for Kendra. And it's, it's just overwhelming, the, the storms that can occur. And, and for us to think, wow, is, where is, where is the, the good in all of this? In, in a lot of cases, I think we've got to try not even to figure out what it might be. You know, in on, on the same 24-hour period of time, I know everybody that I knew was praying for Elena, and they were praying for Kendra. They, they both had babies that were premature. Uh, and along that, that journey, uh, Elena was able to, to, to give birth to a 5-pound, 13-ounce baby. And a few hours later, our, our dear sister Kendra had a, had a stillborn baby. And not only that, had to fight for her life. Because throughout the entire process uh, she was uh, on the edge of the edge of dying it crashed in, in one one instance uh, with the crash carts coming in and on top of that, having to go through giving birth and grieving and fighting for your life all at the same time I mean how do you how do you make sense of of anything like that uh, did Did we pray better for Elena than we did for Kendra did did, did God have a special purpose for maybe Calloway, not a, a purpose for... for the, I mean, yeah, you can use that kind of secular approach to things. You, we just got to throw up our hands and, and recognize that, you no, know, God, God has got something that we can't even begin to appreciate. Sometimes we do when there's been enough time. And, and sometimes when you're able to give yourself 10, 20 years for, from the event, you can appreciate it. You know, Danny, who did the welcome, was telling me just, just before he came up that that he and his wife went went through something very, very similar uh, to, to what happened with with Marcel and Kendra. And and same same number of weeks and same same thing that had to happen. But but you know right now Danny can kind of see that with a, a good bit of perspective of over twenty years. But 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 for any of us that are still in the immediacy of these things, it's a dangerous thing to think about how we're going to understand this or make sense of of this. Or even to allow Danny's experience to even inform uh, Kendra and Marcel's experience. It, 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 and that's a dangerous thing as well. I think we've just got to recognize that, that there are storms and God does allow us to go through those storms. And the difficulty is is that at the end of the day we still appreciate that if we could, if we could know, if we could only know, then, then we would only have peace. But, but God is not allowing us to know until some other time. He's not even allowing his his guys here to know why it is that they're going through this even as they hear people perhaps walking along in in joy, excited to go see Jesus in just a moment as they they walk along maybe a mile or so north of where where they're rowing. Uh, it, 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 it's going to be confounding to them, it's confounding to us. But but at the end of the day, we've got to appreciate that Jesus will will go through the most ultimate storm. And and only because he goes through the most ultimate storm will any of this start to make sense. And I'll and I'll get to that in just a moment here. Um, but what's interesting is, is as as much as life can kind of cause us to stop and, and just throw our hands up at times, uh it's it's nothing compared to when you really have to come face to face with holiness and my second point is an even greater fear now isn't it interesting that while they're dismayed in their adult situation in the middle of a deep deep sea but now fear is introduced into the dialogue not at that moment but at this moment what is that moment when they saw Jesus approaching, not in a boat, not in a hovercraft. This is not a calm sea that he's walking across. This is a tempest through which he's walking. And walking in such a way the, the word used for walking is, is really the word that's used for a, a very kind of easy stroll that one could take. It's like Jesus is chilling, kicking it while while they're in a boat that is, my goodness, on on the edge of disaster at every moment. Um, But what really causes them to fear is this new stimuli. What is the new stimuli? Jesus, in his full holiness, starting to be revealed. There's something about Coming in contact with the spiritual world. And it begins to be a bit more real. That just suddenly throws everything into a brand new perspective. Like like nothing else. And many people have speculated that all of us have a kind of an approach avoidance relationship with the supernatural. We're intrigued by it. We kind of want to know more about it. But when it actually intersects our lives... We are freaked out to no end. And ill-equipped for it. Why? Maybe it's the fact that God created you. With immense powers. You're rational. You're logical. You are free agents. You have agency. You have the ability to, to choose your own course. But in that choosing. At some point. You, I, Decided to live with all of our faculties, all this greatness, decided to live independently of God and His will. We decided to live and rely upon ourselves. And because of that, we are rightly traumatized when the Holy intersects our path, because it is something so totally different than the way that we decided to live our lives. We wanted to build our lives on our flesh. And when the holy and the supernatural intersects it, man, oh, man, that's freak out time. I remember I've always hated scary movies. Always, always, always It couldn't get me to go see one. It saved my life. I remember the exorcist was on TV and all my friends were over and they were all watching it. And of course, wimpy, 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 you know, shame me into watching it. So I, I decided I'm going to watch. I, you know, I'm trying to, like, to bear up. I didn't watch most of it. I, I shut my eyes. I did other things because there was no way. I mean, the, the the minute that pea soup came out, I mean, I'm done for, right? But it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter. I mean, if there's just a commercial for some sort of a movie that has a supernatural taint to it, and there's just a a girl standing in the corner with a dirty nightgown like this. And she looks up. Oh, yeah! Like I would rather be in a room with a Bengal tiger than that girl. Right? I mean, there's just something deep inside of me. And Mark 6 says that what they encountered was in, in the Greek phantasma. Sounds so cool, doesn't it? That's the word for a ghost. A phantasma. And I I, I remember seeing, there was a movie in, I think it was 1978, so I was about uh, 15 years old, 14 years old, but it was also like my first date ever. And I went to go see Phantasm, which was this scary, I do not recommend it, (laughs) only bringing it up for illustrative purposes in this lesson right now. Do not see that or any other scary movie. I, I see no purpose in these things, but nonetheless... I go to this movie and I had this like burnt orange satin shirt, buttoned down, collars that could slice bread, looking sweet. Right? First date, I'm gonna impress. Because, and I had the satin because I could kind of, you know, kind of put my arm around the girl or maybe she like hold my arm during the scary parts. But, 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 but I remember. And, during the midst I'm trying to be so cool and the, the we're like on a triple date it's like these girls were like made of some other substance like how are they not like freaking out fearing in the midst of this so there's no like clinging on to my satin shirt dur- during this there's none of that it's just like oh okay well, well the whole time I'm like oh, can I cling on to your cotton here I'm like oh why because there were phantasmas in, in the movie phantasm It's freaky scary, right? I mean, super freaky scary because it's beyond us. And and we are, oh my goodness, we want to keep control of our lives. Everything, if it's under control, is kind of okay. But when something intersects that is so far beyond our control, that's why such a deep fear comes here. How about, you know, think about Peter when he has another intersection earlier in the gospel with Jesus is in Luke five. And in that situation, Jesus comes into the boat with them. And he, you know, he can throw, throw the nets over on the other side. And this is just like a great catch of fish that happens in Luke five. And, and Peter begins to haul in the fish and he realizes this is the greatest catch of fish of my entire life. This is the bumper crop of bumper crops. If I can bring this to market, this will be the greatest monetary day of my life. And rather than saying, Jesus, you're coming fishing with me every day. We're, you know what? When we have our discipleship times, let's do it in the boat while I fish. Right? He doesn't say that. Instead, when it could have been his deliverance physically, monetarily, instead, what does he say? Get away from me. Get away from me. I am a sinful man. Why? Because he began to appreciate not just the external storm, but the internal storm as well. And when we come in contact with Jesus, both the external storms gain perspective, but unfortunately, we become aware of the internal storms. As well, the the internal storms of guilt and despair. And suddenly, an encounter with the holy is a threat. And we should be afraid, very afraid. Why? Because when I came to Jesus, it meant my very self. And was I willing to lose my very self? Because I wasn't able to maintain my control and still have this encounter with Jesus. And if your only encounter with Jesus has ever been sweet baby Jesus with the lamb, if your only encounter with Jesus is just, wow, look at how he, how he fed the 5,000. Wow, I, I like that good moral teacher. Well, I like the way that, that my, you've never actually really come to Jesus. Not in the way that he has intended for you to come to him there is a purging of our very soul when we come before Jesus unfiltered Jesus unrestrained Jesus full on that they were experiencing right here or Peter was experiencing in the boat doesn't cause us to say wow this has been this has been quite quite encouraging to my no yes yes there's encouragement but you know what else there there also is There is also an undeniable, undeniable threat to our very existence. Because he is going to expect all from us. And the storm that that comes when we uh, kind of come to Jesus needs to be a storm that, that we don't try to build a better boat to get out of. Because you can't. The boat that you're in is only one plank away From springing a leak and plunging into the abyss. Plunging into the depths of evil. From which you may never be able to escape. And if you're still trying to manage it on your own. Manage it through religiosity. Managing it through, let's say, filtered holiness. Managing it through playing the game of church. You're just trying to stay afloat in your own man-made boat. And all that will ever do is continue to be washed back and forth, tempest, blown back and forth in absolute frustration and to to, to recognize that that's no way to live the rest of your life and it's no way to expect to ever get to the shore. All that will ever happen is maybe you stay afloat for a little while longer, but is that really your goal? Is that all you want is just to sort of stay afloat a little while longer? On your own steam? On your own effort? On your own boat of your own making? Or or rather to really invite Jesus to be the captain? Invite Jesus into the boat. And if you do though, he gets it all. He gets it all. You, and, and that was the hard part for me. Am I really ready to give Jesus my career? Am I ready to... Entrust him with my romantic life, ready to entrust him with my finances, ready to entrust him with my free time, ready to entrust him with my energy, ready to entrust him with whatever skills or abilities I have. Am I ready to really kind of let all of that be his and rec- and really trust that at the end of the day, that's all going to be used for so much more glorious purposes than just trying to stay afloat a little while longer. I was trying to stay afloat on my own self-esteem, on my own self-supposed accomplishments. And again, at at the end of the day, not in the middle of the day, when I still had energy and bravado, but at the end of the day, if I really allowed myself to quiet my soul and really encounter Jesus and really recognize when he says, you know what? Anyone who tries to gain the whole world and rather than deny themselves, you're going to lose everything. If, if, that's, if that's really, this is all about you and your, your own personal gain, you will know the forfeiture of everything you hold dear. But if instead, you're ready to really give all of that up and give all of that over, you're going to know the sweetness of deliverance on that shore. And my goodness, when it comes... It's going to be rather remarkable and the beautiful thing here is is that this encounter with Jesus that gives them an even greater fear is immediately met with Jesus saying to them don't fear and he doesn't say don't fear because you guys don't have access to to um, uh, weather apps yet but I do and I see that in just a moment, there's a high barometric front coming through. And the high pressure is going to clear all of this out and it's going to be really nice in just a moment. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, don't be afraid. I'm going to kind of, you know, be able to steer this ship. Don't be, you know, you know what he says? Don't be afraid. I am. That's a bombshell. To a Jewish literate, biblically literate group of guys. Don't be afraid, I am. Don't be afraid, I am God. It's the words that Moses heard at the burning bush. Don't be afraid, I am. The very words that these guys are now hearing, not in the middle of a a fire, but in the middle of a tempest. Don't be afraid, I am. And it's not just that Jesus can say to them, I can finally give you redemption. I can bring you forgiveness of sins. I can give you fulfillment. No, he's more than that. He's not saying what it is that he can do. It's not saying what it is that he can offer. He's saying what it is that he is in his essence. I am fulfillment. I am deliverance. I am forgiveness. I am security. I am yours. And that's the magnificent offer. That when we encounter the holy. When we, through the difficulties of our life, and and sometimes it is the bumps in the road and the lack of climate control, the lack of career control, the lack of children control that gets us to to finally realize, oh, maybe I need a little Jesus in my family. Yes, those storms occur, but once you come to Jesus, it's going to be so much deeper than just that sort of a tempest. That tempest runs so deep, right down the very center of my soul. And it's only going to be calmed with real surrender. Real surrender to Jesus. And my last point, this greater fear is the only way to shore. It is the only way. We can... We can give it all of these other efforts in our lives. And as I mentioned earlier, sure, maybe we'll tread water for a little while. But is that really your goal? Is that all you want for your life to tread water for maybe just a little while longer? Or how about maybe to have real transcendent deliverance? Jesus wants to do something with you that's remarkable and it's not easy. And even if it's the only way, it's a hard way. The only way doesn't make it an easy way. It's, it's paid for by him. It's courtesy of him, yes. But it's still never easy to deny self. Everything inside of us wants to preserve self. And to really turn that over is a, a big deal. But when we do, when we get near the presence of the real creator, it's like being awakened from sleepwalking. Being awakened from material living, from fleshly living, and realizing, whoa, wh- what just intersected my life is such a big deal that it almost seems impossible that I would be coming to understand such things. Philosophers have probably longed to have insight into the meaning of life and our reason for being that is happening right now. But this is our deliverance that is, that, that is coming into our, our view And he doesn't just say to you, oh, you know what? I'm just here to comfort you and love you. I don't want to bother you. I just want you to be happy and, you know, become even happier with me. And and I, I I don't want you to be upset with one another. And I don't want you to be upset with me. That's not deliverance. That's codependency. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus gets in there and identifies the very thing that's got to go. There are many things, but for many of us, there's one thing that's just got to go. As we're able to really know living unfettered with, with Him truly as the captain of our boat. As we, as we recognize why He is the only way, there's something that Jesus says to these guys. A little later, and he says, You know, just as Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, so will a son of man be in the belly of the earth. But now one greater than Jonah is here. And as, as Jonah made his way into the abyss and ended up being the kind of the, the, the prophet of uh, perhaps faulty reputation at best, there's one greater than Jonah. In this boat with you right now, he gets to say to them, the reason that you don 't have to worry about this storm, the reason you don 't have to worry about this dark depths that are all around us is because you will never have to go to it to the ultimate degree. You will face small storms, but with me by your side, and the reason why is because I will face The ultimate storm. I will go to the depths. I will go to the deepest, darkest, blackest place. That there is at the bottom of this abyss. I will endure. All of the the darkness of, of sin. And evil. And disease. And death. I will be one even greater than Jonah. I will endure all of that. The worst of all of your fears. Never needs to be realized. Because I will realize it. The worst of all speculations of the future don't need to be yours. Not in any ultimate way, because it will be mine. I will be that for you. And as we then make your way until that ultimate deliverance, there will be storms. There will be challenges. There will be waves. And there will be a wind in your face, but not for no reason, because along the way, you can know that because he became your ultimate Jonah, because he took the ultimate scenario that you, you ever could possibly fear, that won't be yours. But you can know that every other storm that comes your way, he's in the boat with you. He's right there with you, bringing you through it. Why? Because he's out to make you what you really want to be. A person of joy, and yet so empathetic and easily touched by grief, by challenge, by the difficulty of your dearest friends or family members. A person of great courage, a person of great conviction. But at the same time, while bold, approachable. While zealous, tender. But how are you going to become all of that? It's only going to happen letting Jesus in this boat. Letting Jesus captain this boat. He wants you to be deeply convicted and a person of deep conviction, but yet flexible. And understanding. Fearless. But humble. Fiercely. Dogmatic about truth. But yet overflowing with joy. That's the journey that you're on. When he comes into the boat. But know that it's the storms. That produce that kind of a person. And as those storms come. Appreciate that he's with you. And that you never have to face the worst case scenario. Because that shipwreck is only for him. These storms are for you and him. And as we see here. Then they were willing to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. That shore where Jesus wants to bring you is a beautiful deliverance. It is a place where there is no more tears. You know what's interesting? Revelation 21 also says, because it's a Jewish audience, there's no more sea that's there. We who like oceanfront property are like, oh, come on. <laughs> but for them, that's, that's this paradise, ideal place, ideal state. Jesus wants nothing less than God's original plan, God's original paradise. God's original people of purity and courage and character. That's where we're heading, and we're ultimately going to end up there. Don't settle. Don't settle for just staying afloat a little while longer. It's no way to live your life. See what it really means to let Jesus into the boat and to have a propulsion that you never could have imagined. But you know, that takes a lot of humility, more than just even self-reflection. Invite someone into your life today, today, to help you to see the difference between just waiting, waiting in the water, and really making your way to the intended destination that Jesus has for you. Amen. Let's close and enjoy our fellowship.